speak to us on the topic of vision relating to uh, all sorts of uh, wider issues as the church grows. Great, thank you very much. Um, okay. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. In the context of the vision of our church, in the context of knowing Jesus and making him known, following on from last week uh, when our guest speaker Phil Hilsden spoke on the subject of how big is your God and in preparation for our gift day, I want to spend a little bit of time this morning under the overarching theme of vision discussing these three wonderful realities, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And as we've moved forward together as a church, I want to be talking about God's kingdom, God's power, and God's glory. And this morning, as we look at the Bible together, I want us to discuss these great themes, but also see how those themes are connected to us. An ambitious exercise. Let's start with God's kingdom. Jesus' contemporaries would look back on their history and they would remember the wonderful days when the great king of Israel, David, was on the, on the throne ruling, establishing his kingdom. And yet, King David, at the end of his life, acknowledged the true king and acknowledged the real kingdom. In 1 Chronicles 29 verse 8, we find David praying this prayer. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Great kingdoms come and go. Great leaders come and go. But there is only one eternal kingdom. And this kingdom looks nothing like the earthly kingdom, just as Jesus Christ looked nothing like an earthly king. In fact, Jesus himself described the kingdom of God in particular ways. In Matthew 13 from verse 31, he says, the kingdom of God is like a little tiny mustard seed. When we plant a tiny mustard seed in the ground, it seems very small, it seems very insignificant. But Jesus says, as that plant grows, it becomes very large and it becomes very significant. In the same way, Jesus talks about a tiny bit of yeast, just a tiny little bit of yeast that is mixed into a large amount of flour. And even though the amount of yeast is very, very small. It has the ability to work its way through the whole batch of dough. And so the kingdom of God appears small in the first instance, but has the capacity to grow and to influence right across 
the whole earth. 2,000 years ago, there was what appeared to be a very insignificant birth of a young peasant boy in a little town called Bethlehem. And then two millennia later, we find that he has become the central figure of world history. Something that starts very small grows into something huge, something massive, something incredible. In the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, a king whose name was Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And the dream was then interpreted by a prophet called Daniel. And in the dream, the king sees a large statue with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. And then in his dream, Nebuchadnezzar sees a small rock, rock cut out which strikes the statue on the statue's feet and, and smashes their feet. And the statue collapses and, and falls to the ground and it becomes dust and it's blown away. And there's no trace of it left at all. But the small rock that, that strikes the statue begins to grow. And it grows and it grows and it becomes a, a huge mountain which fills the whole earth. And the interpretation of the dream given by Daniel to this king called Nebuchadnezzar is that the statue represents the kingdoms of this world. The first, in the first instance, they appear to be powerful, uh, almost impenetrable. They might even be considered to be invincible. The kingdoms like the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Persia, the kingdom of Alexander the Great, the Roman Empire, other empires that, that rose up like the Spanish Empire and the Napoleonic Empire, and, and the Ottoman Empire, and then, of course, the British Empire. Throughout history, we've seen superpowers come and go. And in contrast, we have this small rock. It smashes all other kingdoms. And although it starts small, it continues to grow and to grow and to grow and becomes a mountain which fills the whole earth. This is a glorious picture of the kingdom of God. And you and I are connected with that kingdom. We are connected personally, and we are connected corporately. First of all, we're connected personally because if we are here today and we're a Christian, we have been rescued and brought into that very kingdom, that eternal kingdom, that glorious kingdom that exists throughout the ages that heavenly kingdom. Colossians 1 verse 13 says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been transferred. We've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. Transferred. Let's get hold of that word. We've been transferred. Argentinian footballer Lionel Messi is regarded as one of the greatest footballers in the world. Currently playing for the Spanish club Barcelona. Just imagine for a moment that Lionel Messi is transferred from Barcelona to Shrewsbury Town. I don't know why that's so funny. He turns up on Monday morning to train with the lads at the Greenhouse Meadow. And as he arrives, he finds Luis Enrique, the, the Barcelona manager, waiting for him there. And the manager says to Lionel Messi, Lionel, what are you doing here? We need to get you on a plane. We've got a Champions League game in a couple of days. We need to get moving. Come on. And Lionel Messi's response is this. I'm sorry, I've been transferred. This is my team now. 
you are not my boss anymore. I have a new boss. Mickey Mellon's my boss. And anyway, we've got an important League One game against Peterborough on Saturday. I'm not going to miss that. Now, I appreciate this might seem a rather foolish analogy. Please do not take this analogy too far. Okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, when we become a Christian, it's like being transferred from Barcelona to Shrewsbury Town. I'm not saying that. That's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is that we are transferred. We are transferred. We find ourselves in a different kingdom. We are under the authority of a different boss, a different king, a king who loves us, who adopts us into his family, who has the very best for us. The old boss, the old king, no longer has authority over us. We have been transferred from one kingdom to another. And our grateful response should be to follow Jesus' instructions in Matthew 6, verse 33, where he says, Seek first the kingdom and righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. So because we have been rescued from the old kingdom, because we've been rescued from all of the worldly things, all of the carnal things, all of the things that people who don't know God strive for and are desperate for and try to follow, because we've been rescued from those things, we don't put those things first. Because we've been rescued and placed into this glorious, wonderful kingdom of the Son in whom He loves, then surely we, put the, we place the kingdom first in our priorities. And there are many possible practical outworkings of that that will influence how we live our lives, how we conduct our employment, how we spend our money, how we raise our families. There are all sorts of repercussions to making a decision to put first the kingdom and seek first his kingdom and believing that all things follow on from that. Being transferred means we're transformed. When we're transferred, that begins the process of transformation. So these are some of the ways we are connected personally with the kingdom of God. But there's also a corporate connection. We are connected together because the primary way that God has chosen to advance his kingdom is actually through his church. That is his plan A. Jesus' commitment to build his church means that you and I are his plan A. And he doesn't have a plan B. It's a bit scary, isn't it? In Matthew 11, verse 12, Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God forcefully advancing. That's about you and I. We are on the offensive. As the children of God, we are workers in the vineyard. We are soldiers in the army. We are living stones being built into a corporate temple full of the Holy Spirit. Can I say again, the kingdom is advanced primarily through the work of the church. So with this in mind, Barnabas, let's remember those parables. Jesus' parables about the, uh, the mustard seed and about the yeast. Can I just say that we've got a, a picture coming up now. This is David Elks and Karen Williams this week receiving the Mayor's Gold Award in the business category 
at a recent awards ceremony. This is a copy of the certificate that they received. They wouldn't let me have the original. They were afraid I might break it or spoil it or tear it or something. So I got a copy. And this certificate acknowledges the work of businesses or organizations or individuals who have contributed to the employment, uh, the economy of the town, particularly in this instance through job opportunities. So this is Food Bank Plus, Barnabas Community Projects, contributing in the non-profit category to the economy of the town through providing job opportunities through the food bank, through the money advice, and also through 360 Journey to Work. And David bought a new jacket. I would say that all of our social action initiatives are like the yeast. They're like the yeast having a transforming effect upon our society. They might seem small in one sense. On the other hand, they are impacting and they are transforming all sorts of aspects of our society. So Barnabas, let's remember that little rock which continues to grow. Remember that although the kingdom of God may seem small in the first instance, actually it is growing. It is forcefully advancing. When Barnabas started as a church plant, it had 75 people, including children. So that's not really the membership represented on this little graph here in 1983. 75 people all told, including children. By 1999, when I became an elder, there was a membership of 187. By 2006, we'd grown to 254. And now we have a church community of around 450 people, a membership of 300 with around 300 to 350 attending Sunday by Sunday. God, by his grace, has enabled the little rock to continue to grow. And yet, in a town of 100,000 people, there's a little bit more to do. See the chart? That's us compared with the whole town. We are a little bit more like a mustard seed than, than a tree just yet. But in spite of this, we should be encouraged because God's church is a living organism. And you know what? what? Living things grow. Living things continue to grow. And as the church grows, God's kingdom continues to advance. Yours is the power. Isaiah 40 reminds us that creation demonstrates the power of God. Verse 46 of Isaiah 40. Lift your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one, calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. God spoke this world into being just get a hold of the power of God. God spoke this universe into being. Psalm 29 reminds us of the power of the voice of God. Verse 3, Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. 
The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. And because God is the creator of the natural world, and because God has the power to speak into being the natural world, that means he, he also has supernatural power over the natural world. He has power beyond the natural world. It's supernatural. And over and over again in the Bible, we see the power of God at work. Healing, restoring, saving, delivering. And as we know, the perfect outworking of this is in the person of his son in Jesus Christ. Luke, in his gospel, tells us in chapter 4 that Jesus returns to his village in the power of the Spirit, and he declares publicly in the synagogue that the Spirit of God is powerfully upon him, and he, he announces to those people that he has been anointed to bring good news, to set prisoners free, to bring sight to the blind, to proclaim the kingdom of God, to pro proclaim the favor of God. And from this point onwards, we see Jesus literally exploding onto the scene. We see the power of God at work healing people, restoring them, delivering them, raising people from the dead, saving them. We see the mighty work of God by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in His Son. And as we continue through the gospel, we begin to see that transferring and the delegating of power and authority to others, to Jesus' followers, to those close to Him. So immediately we begin, begin to understand that as followers of Jesus, we are connected Again, there's a connection. We are connected to the power of God. We see the commissioning of others to go and do all that Jesus has done. And so in Luke 9, we see Jesus sending out the 12 disciples, giving them up power and authority to preach and to heal the sick. And in Matthew 28, Jesus makes it very clear to the disciples that he has all authority. He has all power. And with this in mind, he then commissions his followers to go out. Just before he ascends into heaven, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says to his closest followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Can I encourage you that today, this very day, the power of God is still at work. I'm absolutely thrilled as I stand here today that I can say with all honesty, with all truth, that I have seen the power of God at work in many, many of the lives of the people sat in front of me right now. The power of God at work. Jesus says that because of that power, because of his authority, we will receive, and because we will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, then actually we will be witnesses to the very ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. I've got an ends of the earth story for you. But I'm not going to tell it. Someone else's. Hooray. I'm going to ask Victoria to come. This is a story about the ends of the earth. This is a story about the demonstration of the power of God. I wonder, Andy, whether you would mind us just turning off the recording while Victoria shares this story because of the sensitivity of the story. But let's just listen to this incredible story demonstrating God's power is still clearly at work. The power.
power of God is still at work, prophetic dreams coming to unbelievers. Andy, we can put the recording back on. Thank you. So our connection to this particular theme of God's power is that we, as individuals, we need to be open to the Holy Spirit. We need to be ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a church, we can be a spirit-filled, witnessing community, having faith that God will demonstrate his power as we reach out into this town, into the surrounding area, and who knows, to the ends of the earth. Let's continue. My encouragement is let's continue to be expectant that the power of God will be demonstrated in miraculous and in supernatural ways. Finally, yours is the glory. Luke chapter 2, the angels announced the birth of Jesus using the following words from verse 14 of Luke 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to man on whom his favor rests. And as the angels appear to the shepherds, verse 9 describes the fact that the glory of the Lord shone around them. So Jesus, as he comes to earth, immediately there is evidence of the glory of God. And this is evident also, we're told, when Jesus returns. When Jesus comes for the second time, Luke 21, verse 27, Jesus describes this about himself. He says, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And so we see the glory of God evident with Jesus' birth, the glory of God predicted at Jesus' return, and in the middle of these two events stands the cross. The death of Jesus paying the price for the sins of the world, and following that, the glorious and the wonderful resurrection of Christ. Jesus refers to this in John 12, verse 23. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be what? Glorified. To be glorified. And so we have the, just these three pictures, very briefly, of the glory of God. Three pictures of the glory of God. The miraculous birth of Jesus and the glory surrounding the birth of Jesus, the glory surrounding his death, his resurrection, ascension into heaven, and the glory surrounding the return at the end of the age. So what is our connection to that? What is our connection to these great themes? What is the response of our hearts to the glory of God? Surely it is worship. We see angels worshiping at the birth of Christ. Matthew describes the disciples gathering around the resurrected Jesus in chapter 28, worshipping him. And as Jesus returns, we recognize and realize that every knee will bow. Everyone will recognize his lordship. This week, there are about a dozen people um, in our early morning prayer meeting, 6.30 Thursday morning, Martin was leading. Everyone was a little sleepy. Certainly I was anyway. And then we began to worship and we sang, There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. And as we were singing this and following on from that song, one of the guys in our church, David Summerfield, he began to pray. And he led us in prayer. And David thanked God for all the good things that he brings to us. He thanked God for his nature and for his character. And as David led us, our hearts were stirred. As David proclaimed the glory of God, it immediately took us 
back to a place of worship. The natural connection with the glory of God for us as individuals and as a church is to worship Him. So here we have these three great themes. The kingdom of God, the power of God, and the glory of God. And so to conclude, and in the light of our journey together, as we think about our gift day, as we think about our mission together, just a couple of things to say. First of all, we believe in the extension of the kingdom of God through this wonderful vehicle known as the church. So can I assure you today that every pound given on the gift days, aside from the tithe that we always give away, will be used. Every single pound will be used to reduce the amount of interest that we would otherwise have to pay. And every penny of interest that we save will be used to resource the ongoing extension of the kingdom of God in this place. I say that to you as a commitment that I make to you as a church on behalf of our senior leadership team. The less we pay in interest, the more we invest in the kingdom. That's the plan. And as stewards, we are accountable to God and to you for that. Secondly, we do this because we believe in the power of God. The advance of the kingdom is not just a paper or a mathematical exercise. It is about the supernatural and miraculous intervention of God in the lives of individual people. People being set free, people being healed, people being delivered, people being saved. See, a club, a club that gathers together might have fun and friendship and food, but it hasn't got any fire. And so we want to trust God's word. We want to encounter his power. And that's what causes us to be people of encouragement, people who are devoted, people who understand their identity, people of integrity, and people who are prepared to go on an adventure with God. And finally, this is all for the glory of Jesus. Yours is the glory. This is not, please, this is not about Barnabas Community Church looking big and clever. We are not so arrogant to think that any of this is to do with our glory. We are one small participant in the work of God to extend his kingdom through his church. All the glory goes to Jesus. But our great desire is that in this place, more glory goes to Jesus. And more glory goes to Jesus because there are more worshippers for Jesus. That's our desire. We want to see more and more knees bowing, more and more eyes lifting, more and more mouths praising, more and more hearts worshipping. Because actually as we do this thing, as we, as we move forward together, as we serve, as we give, as we reach out, it is all for the glory of Jesus. In order that he can be found and he can be proclaimed. 
in order that the people of Shrewsbury can know Jesus and then in turn make him known. Let's stand together. I'd love the worship team to come back. I'd like us just, as Keith and the team come back, they're going to lead us. I'd love us just, first of all, just to pray. Can we just close our eyes? I'd like to pray for us. There's a church in Eastbourne that rewrote the Lord's Prayer in a modern style. They've done that fairly recently. I'd just like to read it out as our prayer this morning, and then we're going to worship together. Let's just uh, close our eyes. Let's just focus on Jesus as I read this modern style Lord's Prayer, which I think I would love it to be our prayer this morning. Let's pray. Dad, without limits, make your name great in the nations. Rule everywhere. You're in charge all the time. Today, give us all that we need. Forgive us our debts as we forgive whoever, whatever. Lead us away from sin. Rescue us from Satan. For you have all authority, all strength, and all beauty everywhere, always. Amen. Let's conclude by worshiping God together.